When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day eight of the 2024 Australian Open. Our first day of round four play in both the men's and women's singles draws, but of course, most notably known as the proverbial start to the second week of the year's first major. And let me just say here at the top of today's show, we have been dealt quite the schedule of singles matches to enjoy eight gems featuring just about every sort of storyline you could be looking for. On the men's side, we have three just mainstream exceptional battles. Of course, these battles all featuring top 16 seeds who all played their part in getting to round number four. And I mean, pick a match out of a hat. Rublev, Demonauer, Sinner, Hachinov, Tsitsipas, Fritz. Those are each at least on paper, going to be exceptional. So, of course, I want to break down every aspect of those matches, get into the stats, the tactics for each player, what a win looks like for each guy as well. Such a fantastic slate of men's singles matches. And then, of course, again, on the women's side, you name your storyline. This slate of matches has it. You want to see top-tier contenders? How about Arena Sabalenka, fresh off an 0-0 victory in round number three? She's got a power tennis battle on her hands in 22-year-old Amanda Anisimova, of course, given how much of the schedule Anisimova missed last year for her to return to the court and just immediately find herself in week two of a major. It speaks to the power tennis she is capable of playing. She comes in confident and, dare I say, with nothing to lose. A fun statistic to start the breakdown of that match coming up in today's podcast. That, folks, is what we call a tease. Of course, you've got former French Open champion Barbara Krejci She's trying to stop the Cinderella story. 16-year-old Mira Andriva continues to make magic from 5-1 down in the deciding set in the third round. She works her way to round number four. Can she summon that magic one more time? What does she have to do to knock off Krejcikova? We'll talk about that. Talk Kostyuk, Timofeeva, two young players trying to reach their first quarterfinals at a major in their careers. And by the way, you know two names I haven't said yet? How about reigning U.S. Open champion Coco Goff, who has yet to drop a set? She's 8-0 to start this 2024 season and, again, has been elite now for six months consecutively. She's going to be a heavy favorite against the Magdalena Frech, making her first appearance in the second week, but... We'll talk tactics there. And then, of course, how can I not talk 
10-time Australian Open champion Novak Djokovic. He's looking for slam number 24, the Kobe slam, as the kids like to say. Uh, certainly, he's going to have a fun one against the French veteran Adrian Manorino. The question, of course, Manorino's played, what, I think 14 sets of tennis in his first three rounds. Does he have gas left in the tank? Anyways, we can get into all of those matches. Certainly a fun slate of eight singles battles for tennis fans to enjoy. And on this podcast, I want to preview all of that action so that you can know what to expect. Have some numbers to discuss in case you are watching these matches on a Saturday night with your friends, with your loved ones, however it is you choose to enjoy this Australian Open. Couple of things before we get into that preview, though. A, if you missed out on our matches on ESPN Plus on Friday, rest assured we've got more college tennis for all of you tennis fans coming on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to be on ESPN Plus once again for a top 15 division one women's battle, Oklahoma State hosting Ohio State, Oklahoma State, a thrilling 4-2 victory over number four Michigan on Friday night. You'll get to see the Cowgirls in action once again, taking on a talented and experienced Ohio State Buckeye team. So look, we're on the same platform as the Australian Open here in the United States. If you are tuning in to the year's first major, you got no excuse. Come check out the college tennis world. You'll start to understand why we're so excited about it here at Cracked Rackets, our first of many broadcasts on ESPN+. Plus. Excuse me, our second of many coming up on Sunday. Ohio State taking on Oklahoma State, 1 p.m. Eastern time start, of course. Also, if you have missed out on anything on this Australian Open, a reminder, you can hear recaps of each and every day's play over on the Mini Break podcast feed. A shout-out and thank you, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all of our content possible, including the now newly available mini break podcast episodes on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So come hang out with us on whatever platform it is you deem best and hear all about what's going on down in Melbourne each and every day. Speaking of which, you want to hear a preview of day number eight, our first day of round four play in both the men's and women's singles draws. So let's get to it. Let's talk with about the men's matches first. I mean, again, surface value. Before I even get into any statistics, you've got fifth-seeded Andre Rublev taking on 10th-seeded Alex Diemenauer. You've got fourth-seeded Yannick Sinner taking on 16th-seeded Karen Hatchinov. A Karen Hatchinov, who, by the way, yes, 16th-seeded, but this is a guy who made back-to-back hardcourt semifinals 2022 U.S. Open, 2023 Australian Open. So we know what his ceiling looks like in the best-of-five set format Again, if those top 16 seeded battles aren't enough for you, you've got 7th seeded Stefano Tsitsipas taking on 12th seeded Taylor Fritz. And then the undercard event, the, again, dare I say, most definitive on paper result, obviously top seed Novak Djokovic, who's taking on 20th seeded, not as though it's some unranked or outside the top 100 Cinderella story. No, it's 20th seeded Adrian Manorino, who has certainly played like a top 15 player, if not better, over the course of what, the last six months since the start of the grass court season. So again, Surface value alone. These matchups are exceptional. Let's get into the weeds on them now. Let's start with maybe my favorite matchup of the tournament to date. There are a couple of nominees, but fifth seeded Andre Rublev versus tenth seeded Alex Diemenauer. Given the recent rise of Diemenauer as he has approached the top 10 in the rankings, as he was a top five guy in hardcourt wins last year, made a 1,000-level final in Canada, beats Novak Djokovic to start this season, 
he's clearly on the ascent at 24 years old, and he's trying to see, again, what is that ceiling? Can that ceiling be higher than Tier 2, Tier 3? Can he knock on the door consistently of guys like Djokovic, Medvedev, Sinner, Alcaraz? Well, obviously, to do that, you got to get through the Andre Rublevs of the world. And look, for the 26-year-old Andre Rublev, he is now competing in his 13th round of 16 at a major in his career. He has made at least the round of 16 in now. Uh, five of the last six majors played. Talk about consistency from the 26-year-old. And again, 59-22. and 22, He's won 73% of his matches over the last 52 weeks. He is one of six guys to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage entering this Australian Open. By the way, all six of those guys still alive in this event speaks to the quality of the field we have remaining. And I mean, look, for Andre Rublev, the problem hasn't been the round of 16 where he's 9-3 and three overall. The problem has been the quarterfinals where, obviously, he has had significant struggles thus far in his career. 0-9 to date. And look, in all nine, or excuse me, seven of those nine affairs, he's faced top five seeds. But you look for him in his career at the majors when he's had to face top 20 players, top 50 players. Uh, he's 8-11 and 11 in his career when he's faced the top 20. Now he's 25-22 and 22 against the top 50, but again, 8-11 and 11 against top 20 opponents at the majors. You want to filter it out for hardcourt specifically, 7-9 and nine against the top 20 overall. Here's why I bring that statistics, uh, statistic up. Alex Diemenauer is playing top 20 tennis. Alex Diemenauer is maybe even playing top 10 tennis right now on hard courts, maybe even that elite top eight category. And these are the guys, pro, uh, stereotypically, that Rublev has struggled with in the majors, albeit oftentimes in a round further than the one we are currently in. And I mean, again, you look for Alex Diemenauer, he has an experience disadvantage. Not only has he only been to one, not nine, slam quarterfinals like Andre Rublev, this is just his seventh round of 16 appearance at the majors in his career. And while it's his third consecutive at the Australian Open, you look for Demon Hour. He has similarly struggled against the Andre Rublev caliber of players in the best of five set format on hard courts. Demon Hour in his career, just two and ten. Two and ten against top twenty opponents on hard courts at the majors. His last victory, the twenty twenty US Open, where he knocked off an eleventh seeded Karen Hatchinov in five sets. You know, again. Losses to Djokovic, Medvedev in the round of 16 at the hardcourt majors last year. Those are tier one guys. Rublev is not that, but Rublev is tier two. Again, just below that. He is the def, I've, I've said this before, not Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Very Good has a spot with Andre Rublev's name on it as consistent as just about any guy we've seen not in tier one over the course of the last three, four, five seasons. And there's a lot of urgency for both of these guys. Again, for Demon Hour, it's not just to try and make a second career quarterfinal, a first in his home country, but it's to do it in front of his home crowd and to know that that crowd will be showing up with nothing on their minds more than trying to will Alex Demon Hour to victory. And there will be no excuse for him from a circumstance standpoint. It will be squarely on his ability to control things with his own racket, with his own play. For what it's worth, he's also 3-2 and two in his career head-to-head against Andre Rublev. The last time they played on hard courts, the Paris Masters last year, Rublev 6-1 in the third, winning that match. But Demon Hour got him in Rotterdam at the start of the season, a 4-4 four four win. Uh, excuse me, 
Yes, that's correct. There are other matches, uh, again, coming 2022 or earlier. Rublev winning a match. They played on clay in three Demon Hour wins at the Next Gen Finals and Washington in 2018. Again, it was 50-50 last year. That's the detail in the head-to-head that matters. So both of these guys entered this match certainly believing they have the ability to win. Now, the big stat I have for Alex Demonauer, I mentioned his lack of success 2-10 at the hard uh, against top 20 players at the majors in his career. You look for him on hard courts over the last 52 weeks. He's 9-7 against top 20 players on hard courts. 7-6 against top 10 opponents on hard courts. Obviously, a win over Djokovic, but also a win over uh, Zverev, a win over Yannick, uh, excuse me, a win over Daniil Medvedev, a win over Rublev back in Rotterdam. For what it's worth, on the flip side, you look uh, for Andre Rublev just last 52 weeks specifically against this sort of degree of competition against top 20 opponents on hard court specifically. Rublev 6-10 overall. You look for him... uh, against top 10 opponents during this stretch, Rublev 1-7. Those are concerning numbers. Again, at least for Alex Diemenauer, you can say there hasn't been the consistent sort of disappointment against this degree of opponent in a stage like this, the way there has been for Rublev. Diemenauer, yeah, that 2-10 and record's concerning, but it still feels a little bit more unknown. Again, this is a ceiling-defining threshold sort of match for both guys to kick off their season. You win this one, you get a crack at most likely Sinner in the quarterfinals. Regardless of how that match goes, you can walk out of Melbourne saying, well, you know what? Round of 16, chips were on the table, two top 10 seeds, and I walked away with that victory. I couldn't do it twice, and that's the next step, but at least I got the first one and got over that first threshold. This is a fascinating match, and this is where, again, I want to talk about the tactics here quickly. I'm going to nerd out on this one more than any other match, I promise, but from a tactical perspective, what does an Andre Rublev victory look like? Well, of course, it seems pretty obvious, but it's worth reiterating. Andre Rublev walks on court with the two biggest weapons on the court, his serve, his forehand from a pace perspective. Alex Diemenauer, Sure, when he's on the run and slaps a forehand by you, in that sense, he can replicate that pace, but not not from a rally ball perspective, shot in, shot out. The Andre Rublev forehand has more topspin, more pace, more depth. Even when he's hitting a 75% neutral ball, then oftentimes the Demon Hour do- ball does when he tries to flatten things out. Demon Hour going to be steady, keep that ball low, flat on the Alex Demon Hour, uh, on the Andre Rublev, excuse me, backhand side, but... I would argue that the Andre Rublev backhand is more dynamic from a topspin perspective, from a power perspective. His drive down the line certainly more impactful when it's landing, although, again, I would argue Demon Hour a little bit more consistent. You know, again, that's what Andre Rublev does so well. I know he's 2-3 and three in the career head-to-head, but if nothing else, he can resort to the fact that his weapons are the biggest weapons on the court, and he will have an ability to make life easy for himself, even with all of Alex Demonauer's speed. Andre Rublev's serve, forehand, they're speed-proof. When they are landing, he is going to find easy points for himself. That's the recipe. He's got to serve well. And obviously, you look at what uh, Rublev's been able to do, particularly over his last two matches against powerful players in court of Eubanks. He's 
detected the serve so well, fought off four of the four break points that he's faced, won over 83% of his first serve points, making over 73% of first serves in each of those matches. That has to be the same recipe. It's not going to be as simple, not as first strike oriented as it's been against two guys in quarter Eubanks who clearly are nowhere near the movers that Alex Demonauer is, but that same poise, that same purpose, that same focus in executing his plus one aggression, that's always going to be the focus for Andre Rublev. It has to be amplified when you're playing someone who extends points and tries to take away what you want, your first option so well the way Alex Demonauer does. The best version of Rublev is that he is continuing to land that first serve, that he is continuing uh, that he does have opportunities, not just to hit the plus one forehand, but again, Demon Hour's backhand will stay low and flat. It will sit up at times for Rublev to cheat over and again, hit that inside out, inside out, inside in forehand combo from the ad side. He does so well. Demon Hour also has gotten better at the backhand, but even if Rublev cheats over, if Demonauer goes down the line because he is so handsy on that backhand side, Rublev is going to have a little bit of time to try and track that ball down and extend the rally from there. Again, weapon standpoint, that's the thing for Andre Rublev. Inside the baseline, if he's asserting himself, if Demonauer's hitting second serves, Rublev's going to have success in this match. On the flip side, what does a Demonauer win look like? Extend rallies, baby. Milk that crowd. Anytime you have an opportunity to seize momentum with a big roar, take it. Because Andre Rublev, even on his best days, gets a little frustrated with himself. And if he feels not only his level is waning, that his weapons are failing to penetrate the court because you're in roadrunner mode as Demon Hour and you know now the crowd's against him as well, there's a world where he not only bends Rublev, where he can get Rublev to break. And... Again, for Demon Hour, the biggest thing in his improvement over this stretch of time is, again, his serve has become a real weapon. His plus one forehand has become a real weapon. He's held serve 95.4% of the time, albeit only eight matches this year. But that's Isner-like. And obviously, that's not going to stay put. But he is just finding plus one easier than he used to in his career. He's gotten a little stronger. There's probably five more miles per hour on his serve now than there was even as recently as two years ago. He's playing with such confidence. He hasn't, you know, again, he dropped his opening set of the tournament 7-6 to Rayonich, who had elite weapons the way Rublev did. Hasn't dropped a set in any of the matches since. Has been broken once in each of his last two matches, but he's also won over 75% of his serve despite not eclipsing a 60% first serve percentage in either of those matches. Speaks to, I think he's going a little bit bigger. And obviously you do that. Sometimes you're going to miss a little bit more, but he can make up for it with the defense he's capable of playing. <sighs> you look at the tennis abstract singles forecast right now. It is Andre Rublev, 58.3% favorite. Man, oh man, what does a Demon Hour win look like? It, it looks like the crowd getting behind him. It looks like him absorbing enough of Rublev's first blows that, again, Rublev begins to crack. Demon Hour's got to hit the first serve well. The thing is, he hits he hits the forehand line well enough to find the Rublev backhand, pin him in that ad side, and then try to get him stretched with an on-the-run forehand. 
I'm taking the demon in Australia. No no disrespect to Andre Rublev, who I know has more pedigree heading into this round of 16 in terms of slam success in this round. But I think Demon Hour gets over the threshold, gets to the quarterfinals of Australia for the first time, and again, has an opportunity to make that a magical moment with that Melbourne crowd. So that's my match of the day. Might be the match of the tournament. Again, Demon Hour 3-2 career head-to-head. Rublev 58.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I am not going to spend... 13 minutes on each match. I just, again, I'm recording this after our doubleheader broadcast, Oklahoma State-wise, and thus just don't have the juice in me. But I will go over stats for all these players. It's Sinner versus Hatchinov next on my list on the men's side. Yannick Sinner, uh, not only 2-1 and one in the career head-to-head, uh, also a 93.7% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Now, some of that impacted by the fact that Hatchinov's been injured of late. But look, 2-1 and one, Sinner in the career head-to-head. They haven't played since 2021. Sinner will win in the Miami Masters in three sets. 7-6 in the third win in an uh, event they played early February. February 2021, Hatchinov 7-6 in the fifth win over Sinner at the 2020 U.S. Open. Yannick Sinner competing in his 11th fourth round at a major in his career. He, too, has made at least the fourth round in eight of the last nine majors. Excuse me. Nine of the last 10 majors speaks to the elevation of Yannick Sinner over these past two years from year two to now knocking very much on the door and in my mind in tier number one. And you look for Yannick Sinner, how has he gotten there? Well, he's 19-6 and six against top 20 opponents on hard courts over his last 52 weeks. You want to filter that out against top 10 opponents? Fine. 13-3 and three against the top 10 on hard courts over his last 52 weeks. He's one of three players. It's him, it's Sinner, it's Alcaraz, who ranked top 10 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks. And look, he has been not good, not great. He's been dominant through his first three rounds of play. Yannick Sinner yet to drop a set, dropped four games against Baez, six against DeJong, and then a pedestrian 12 games across three sets where he was broken once in his round one match against Botic Vandesen Schkulp. Now, obviously, he is yet to face the level of hardcourt competition of a Karen Hatchnov to at least this point of the event, but every sign, every metric points to Yannick Sinner not only playing the best tennis of his career, but continuing an ascent towards top-tier status. And again, right now, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, not only is Sinner the favorite against Hatchinov, Djokovic, 34.9% favorite to win the event. After that, it's not Alcaraz, who's at 13.7%. It's not Medvedev, who's at 9.6%. No, it's Yannick Sinner, who's at 30.5%. He's on the same side of the draw as Djokovic, yet Tennis Abstract has him as the second favorite. Look, Hatchinov's played great ball when healthy over the last 18 months, and he's competing in his 11th career round of 16 match at a major. Here's the thing. He's a guy who holds seed. When he gets pushed against elite competition in these best-of-five matches, that's where things, the struggle, dare I say, begins. And you look for Hatchinov, 6-12 and 12 in his career at the majors uh, against, excuse me, 7-16 and 16 in his career at the majors against top 20 opponents overall, 2-8 and eight against top 20 opponents on hard courts. He beat Francis Tiafo at the 2023 Australian Open, beat Carreño Busta at the 2022 U.S. Open. With all due respect, this 2024 iteration of Yannick Sinner, that's a different sort of beast. You look for Karen Hatchinov in his career, and again, 
thank you to Tennis Abstract for the stats. Hatchinov 10-19 in his career when facing a higher-ranked opponent at the majors. You want to filter that out for hardcourt specifically. 4-9 in his career when facing a higher-ranked opponent at the majors. According to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, again, this match is going to be lopsided. Sinner is yet to face someone with weapons who can impose his will regardless of what Yannick is doing. And if Hatchinov is landing the first serve, he's going to find first forehands. If he's finding first forehands, he's going to rack up winners throughout the course of this match. The difference is Yannick Sinner has weapons to pressure Hatchinov in a way he has yet to be pressured in this event. I think three four-set results uh, for Hatchinov thus far to get him to this fourth round. Wins over Altmaier, Kovacevic, and Mahak. All solid players. They ain't Yannick Sinner either. I'm taking the sin, man. No need to spend any more time on the analysis. He has pressure. Uh, He can play with pace to the forehand Hatchinov in a way that causes that forehand sometimes to break down for Hatchinov. And again, he's going to match him on the backhand wing, match the discipline, match the pace. Hatchinov might win a set. Yannick Sinner's winning the match. Give me the Sin Man to advance to the quarterfinals, set up a blockbuster date with the winner of that Rublev uh, Demon Hour round of 16 match. Next up on the men's side, again, another round of 16, uh, top 16 seeded battle. Stefano Tsitsipas taking on Taylor Fritz. This is our tightest battle, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Taylor Fritz, a 50.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That's despite the fact that Tsitsipas is 3-1 in the career head-to-head. 1-0 in the one time they've played at the majors, a five-set win at the 2022 Australian Open in this same round. Fritz did get the better of Tsitsipas for the first time in his career last year, and it was on clay of all surfaces, a 2-4 and four win for Fritz over Tsitsipas in Monte Carlo. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas, he's playing in his 11th career round of 16, excuse me, 12th career round of 16 at the majors. Uh, you look for Tsitsipas overall, he's 6-4 and four in his career against top 20 opponents at hardcourt major events. By the way, all 10 of those top 20 battles for Tsitsipas on hardcourts at majors, all 10 have come at the Australian Open, all 10 of them. Never at the U.S. Open has he faced a top 20 opponent, only at the Australian Open Again, he's six and four in those encounters here. Here's the thing: you look for Stefano Tsitsipas, fifteen and nineteen against top twenty opponents on hard courts since the start of 2022. Taylor Fritz since the start of 22, uh, seventeen and fourteen against top 20 opponents overall during that stretch. Similar sample size, and again, Fritz has the better record now. Taylor Fritz playing in his fourth career round of 16. He's six and twenty in his career against opponents ranked higher than him at the majors. His last win coming at the 2022 Australian Open over Roberto Bautista Agu. It's a threshold he has struggled to get over throughout the course of his career. Again, has yet to make an appearance at a semifinal, only the one appearance in a quarterfinal for him thus far. Obviously, Tsitsipas far more success at this level. He's advanced to the quarterfinals seven different times already in his career at the majors, a bunch of them coming at this Australian Open. I didn't mention, by the way, just a quick recap, because I want to do this now for Tsitsipas and Fritz. What does a sinner win look like? The same as these last three rounds have looked. His pace overwhelms the Hatchinov backhand. 
draws Hatchinov into overextending on that forehand wing, starts generating errors off of that side, pressures Hatchinov into hitting on the run forehands, which again, he will spray, just beats him straight up backhand cross-court center at times can be better than everything than Hatchinov on the court. Hatchinov's got to land first serves. He's got to hit the big first forehand. If he's dictating with those two shots, he's got a chance. He's winning at least two tiebreakers. That's what a Hatchinov victory looks like. What does a Tsitsipas victory look like? Well, it's just him asserting himself with his weapons the way he did against Van Asha for the, uh, dare I say, at his highest level in quite some time. In round number three, his first straight set win of this event. His serve and forehand are just in rhythm. And Taylor Fritz, as much as he has improved as a mover against elite weaponry, that's where he starts to get in trouble. And look, Fritz is going to find the Pass backhand. He's going to hit the kick serve to it. He's going to hit the plus one forehand to the open court. He's going to have ways to pressure Stefano Pass as well. Both guys are well positioned to expose the other thing, uh, to expose the thing the other guy does most poorly. Fritzwin looks like he's got to serve well. He can't get off to these slow starts. He lost the first set against Marazan. Was down again early in his first round match as well. Cannot afford to do that. He needs to get off to a fast start. He needs to get Tsitsipas chirping at his bench and barking at himself and starting to doubt his backhand because when Tsitsipas was in rhythm against Van Asha, it was so smooth Fritz is the slight favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Here's the thing. He looked so good in round number three, but his opponent really couldn't hurt him. Man, this is a tough pick. I'll take Stefano Tsitsipas. Why not? And then last but certainly not least, uh... I'll take Tsitsipas in five. I think that match is going to be really fun. Again, both guys are going to have opportunities. Both guys are going to be extraordinarily bummed if they walk away without a victory. Last but certainly not least, let's talk about a guy who, of course, has made 63 round of 16s now at the majors, but in just Australian Open round of 16 appearances alone. He is making his 16th second week appearance at the Australian Open. That alone is more round of 16 appearance than any other player has had across all four majors to this point in their respective careers. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you look for Novak Djokovic. Here's a fun fact. He's 42-13 and 13 against lefties in his career. 11 of those losses to lefties have come to Rafa. So, again, 42-13 uh, and 13 in his career against lefties. The last non-Rafa to beat him, lefty, Jurgen Meltzer. 2010 Roland Garros quarterfinals. Before that, you'd have to go all the way to his first major match against a lefty, Fernando Verdasco, 2005 U.S. Open. Again, outside of the losses to Rafa, just two losses to left-handed players at the majors in his career. That is freaking just, again, all these numbers are just hilarious when you say them out loud. He's a prohibitive favorite, 94% according to Tennis Abstract against an Adrian Manorino who he's in his fifth career round of 16 at the majors. Listen to who these opponents have been. Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Djokovic. And then in 2013, when he was 25 years old, his first round of 16, he lost in five sets to Lucas Kubat. After that, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, now Djokovic again. It's tough luck. And you look for Manorino in his career, 6-10 against uh, – 6-10, 6-40 
against top 10 opponents on hard courts in his career, 6-40 and 40 against the top 10. He's beaten Wawrinka, Rayonic, Cilic, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and Hercots. I guess the Wawrinka at the time kind of counts as a top-tier victory, but never a Djokovic, Federer, Nadal type. And again, Djokovic 4-0 in the career head-to-head, though their last match came all the way back August 2018. I know Manorino's 35 now. I think he's better than he was then. Manorino's just played so much tennis, and I mentioned this stat earlier. He's played 15 sets, not 14, 15 sets. Five, three, uh, five set, five, three five-set matches to get to this point of the tournament. This is where the run ends. Novak Djokovic cruises. Give me Novak in straights. And again, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Sinner, Demon Hour as your top half quarterfinals. Sign me up for that right away. Sign me up for any permutation, truth be told. I don't, by the way, I don't even know what an Adrian Manorino upset looks like. That's how baffled I will be if it happens. Give me Djokovic to end the 15-cent marathon run of Adrian Manorino. Just three more to go, Adrian. I guess that could be the bright side for a guy who's going to leave Melbourne at a new career high. I'm not going to spend as long on the women's side. I just don't have the energy in me. I can feel it now, but I do want to preview these and go through the stats here. Uh, Let's start with my favorite of the matches. Sabalenka, you're numbered, and I apologize again for that fact. I'll make up for it on the mini break, recapping them, I promise. Sabalenka, 86.3% favorite against Amanda Nisimova. Here's your fun fact that I teased in the intro. Five career head-to-head matchups between Anisimova and Sabalenka. Anisimova 4 and 1. 4 and 1 in the career head to head against Arena Sapalenka. Now 3 of the 5 have gone 3 sets. 4 of the 5 have been on clay. The one hard court match they played 2019 Australian Open a 3 and 2 win for Anisimova. That's fascinating. And you look for Arena Sapalenka Despite all the success, she's playing in her 11th career round of 16 at the majors. She's made the round of 16 at the last five uh, major events. She's now 51 and 15, won 77% of her matches over the last 52 weeks. She's eight and six against opponents over five foot ten. Now three of those losses were to Elena Rabakina. You take out the Rabakina matches, she's seven and three against all other opponents over five foot ten. But if you can play with Elite power tennis the way Rabakina can, the way Samsonova could in her victory over Sabalenka in Montreal. Even the way, you know, again, someone like Madison Keys did in a loss at the U.S. Open, the way a Krejcikova did uh, in their battle at Indian Wells last year. Like, you can give—you need those weapons because if you don't have something to hit Sabalenka off-center with, she is just going to dominate you as she won 0-0 in her round three match against Serenko. Anisimova has those weapons. Playing in her sixth round of 16, straight set win over Bedosa. Now, you look for Anisimova in her career. She's 3-12 and against top 10 opponents on hard courts. Her last win, 2022 Cincinnati against Daria Kasatkina. And again, beating top 10 players, Kasatkina, Svitolina, they don't play the sort of top 10 power tennis, elite power tennis that an arena Sabalenka does against elite players over 5'10". So top 20 players over 5'10", elite power tennis players. Anisimova, 6-11 in her career overall. Did get a win over Samsonova in round number one of this event, but Samsonova not playing anywhere near the level Sabalenka is to start this season. I think this is where the run for Anisimova ends. She is striking the ball beautifully. 
Sabalenka stretches you in ways just no opponent has been able to do for Anisimova thus far. And I think this is the sort of caliber of power that can, dare I say, expose the rust and some of the sloppiness in the Anisimova footwork right now. I'll take Sabalenka to advance in straight sets. But again... There's going to be some brilliant ball striking in that match. And if anyone has the confidence, the big match toughness to go into that match and play freely, swing freely, do what you need to do to knock off a top two seed, capture that sort of magic, Anisimova has the game style to do it. Can she get hot? Can she serve well enough to disrupt Sabalenka's rhythm? She has those serves in her. We'll see if she can pull off executing it. I'll take Sabalenka in straight sets. One of them tight. Set like a 7-5-6-1 sort of affair for Sabalenka to advance. Krejcikova versus Andreeva, equally interesting. You look to the tennis abstract singles forecast, Krejcikova just a 56.9% favorite. Krejcikova playing in her seventh career round of 16, Andreeva in just her second. Here's the thing, though. Why is that tennis abstract projection so close? It's because Andreeva's 2-0 in her career against Krejcikova. Beat her at Wimbledon last year. Also beat her on hard courts in Beijing. 2-2 down the season's home stretch. You look for Krejcikova. She's 7-8 in her career against top 100 opponents under the age of 21. Now, two of those losses were to Iga, but couple losses to Kostyuk, Tossin, obviously losses to Andreeva. I'm not saying the pressure gets to her, but I just thought that was an interesting stat that a lot of you listeners would enjoy. Now, Andreeva 8-7 and seven in her career against top 50 opponents. Again, she's 2-0 against Krejcikova. That record speaks for itself. That's why on paper you think, oh, you know, again, Andreeva sometimes plays the ball a little bit close to her body after overcoming a 5-1 third set deficit. You wonder physically as well as mentally how much gas does this 16-year-old sensation have left in the tank. Anytime, you know, again, she played kind of loopy, patient, consistent tennis, and that got her over the finish line against the Diane Perry. But you give someone like Barbara Krejcikova that much time with her weapons off of both wings, she's just going to make you pay. And, you know, Krejcikova doesn't have a vulnerability to exploit repeatedly the way the Diane Perry backhand was for Andreeva. For Krejcikova, just comes into, is it a hot day or not? If the errors are piling up, she can lose quickly to anyone. If she is on rhythm and properly calibrated, she can beat anyone in the world. And, you know, again, a couple have come from behind three set victories for Krejcikova to get to this fourth round. Andreeva's got to serve to at least make Krejcikova a little bit uncomfortable, but I just think the pace that Krejcikova can bring from both wings and that there's no clear-cut place for Andreeva to find some comfort level and bail out if Krejcikova is properly calibrated. Krejcikova should win this match. Andreeva's got magic behind her. I think this is where the magic ends. Give me the ninth-seeded Krejcikova to get back to the quarterfinals of a major, start her season off with a bang. I'm going to take Krejcikova to win. I'm going to take it in straight sets as well, but I don't feel great about that projection as, again, 2-0 Andreeva, including a 2-2 victory on hard courts. Give me Krejcikova to change the script as these two do battle in the round of 16. Uh, And again, Krejcikova, 56.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Next up, 21-year-old Marta Kostyuk taking on 20-year-old Maria Timofeeva, both of these players at career highs. 
following their runs already here in Australia. Kostyuk, the 21-year-old, sitting at 31 in the live rankings. You look uh, for Timofeeva. She's sitting at a career-high 100. Welcome to the top 100 of the live rankings. To the 20-year-old, you look for Kostyuk, playing in her second career round of 16. She's 14-3. and three. Over her last 52 weeks against opponents who uh, are ranked outside the top 50 on hard court specifically, she's 13-1 and one against those opponents. And again, she, I've said this a million times about Kostyuk. I think she is going to have the sort of season where we are reminded of why we thought earlier in her career she might be destined for superstardom. Now, I don't think she's going to crack Tier 1 this year, but I do think she's going to end the season inside the top 20. I think she's that caliber of talent. And the pieces just all seem to be clicking together because, again, Kostyuk was someone who could always do A, B, C, D, and E well. She could just never get all the pieces to fall in the line and maintain a consistency throughout the course of a match. She's starting to do that now, being more assertive with her plus one forehand, sustaining her f- base level. It's just gotten a little bit higher. That consistency, that underlying physicality is always there. That's why, again, that 14-3 and record against opponents outside the top 50, not surprising, indicative of the renewed consistency we've seen from her over the past year. Look, Tima Fiva's just played five matches in her career against top 100 opponents. Six, if you want to include her matchup in round one against Caroline Wozniacki, who's certainly playing top 100 level. Um, you look for Tima Fiva. I mean, honestly, I'd probably include Alize Cornet, who is her round one opponent. Excuse me, Wozniacki round two. I mean, again, it's it's a marathon run. It was or a miracle run. It was her first main draw to slam, and now she's into her first second week in that same event. I don't mean to say a miracle run. I mean, it was a dream one run. Dream, not miracle. It was a dream moment, a dream run for Maria Timofeeva. I mean, again, the harder you hit the ball at her, the harder it comes back. I've said it before. I think Timofeeva is a more polished Less volatile, less volatile Putensiva, but similar in that just like a little bit of jack of all trays, the perfect reactive uh, reaction to whatever it is you throw at her. <sighs> this is tough. I'll take Kostyuk and another one of those like seven five six one affairs where the clock just strikes midnight for Timofeeva, who's going to be up like. 3-1 in that first set, and then Kostyuk's going to take it 7-5 and pull away from there. Give me uh, Marta Kostyuk to advance to her first career quarterfinal. And again, unsurprisingly, given the lack of track record for Timofeeva, Kostyuk a 94.4% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Last but not least, let's talk Coco Goff. First career head-to-head with Magdalena Frech. Coco Goff is now playing in her 10th career round of 16 at the majors. She's played just 17 main draws. That's crazy for the 19-year-old. And, of course, you look for Coco Goff. She's 35-7 and over her last 52 weeks against opponents ranked outside the top 20. You want to go hardcourt specifically? Fine. She's 26-1. and Hasn't lost to opponent outside the top 20 since losing to Potapova in Miami. So she's won 20 straight matches against opponents ranked outside the top 20 on hardcourts and... Look, to just keep things simple, I don't see that's changing for Magdalena Free, who's playing in her first career round of 16. She's 0-10 against top 10 opponents in her career. Look, she's leaving Australia regardless with a new career high of 26 in the live rankings. She's played a couple of three-set battles uh, down the stretch just to get 
uh, to this week. Number two needed three sets and a come from behind victory over Zaharova, three sets over Daria Seville in round one. And then, of course, the four and six straight set, two-hour victory over Caroline Garcia in round number two. Coco Goff, meanwhile, eight straight victories to kick off her season between the Auckland title and here she's dropped just one ma- uh, one set excuse me, in those eight matches. Give me Coco Goff, who according to Tennis Abstract, significant 92.6% favorite. You've got two 90% favorites in 80 uh, plus percent favorites and 86.3% favorite. And then the Krechikova and Riva matchup, which again, fascinating on paper. That's why I spent a little bit longer talking about the men's matches. Again, I do think this round on the women's side sets up the blockbuster quarterfinals where again, Krejcikova and Sabalenka played some of my favorite matches of 2023. Would be fascinating to see them do battle in the quarterfinals once again. If it's Goff Kostyuk, 221 and under talents, sign me up for that in the quarterfinals as well. And then obviously, we still got a full top half of the draw to unfold in the women's singles action. So I promise you, no matter what permutation unfolds, it is going to be a fantastic finish to the year's first major. And if you've missed out on anything, a reminder, you can catch up on it all over on the Mini Break podcast feed. You can catch our coverage of the 2024 college tennis season as well. Another match coming up on ESPN Plus, 1 p.m. Eastern Time Sunday. Mich- uh, excuse me, Ohio State taking on Oklahoma State. Shouldn't confuse those two teams. That's an unforced error, of course. A shout-out, as always, to a man who never makes unforced errors, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who makes everything you hear possible and who, as always, has a of an editing job to do day in, day out. With all that said, that's your look at day eight of this 2024 Australian Open for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot and we hope you all enjoy day eight of the year's first major thanks everyone